So, my wife doesn't think that's funny, though. She doesn't think that's funny at all. She's more like, get away from me while you're sick. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Yeah, I can't afford to be sick, that kind of thing. All right. Another one. Are we ready for another one? Another Sunday here. We got just a, I think, one more Sunday before it's uh, pretty much like a Christmas weekend all the way into Christmas. And then, I don't know, but I think school's going to be out for kids. They're pretty excited about that. I know my kids are. They literally live from one break to the next. And uh, that's how they judge the school year, you know. So uh, I th- we're, we're going to have a good time at our house. I think my family's coming down, or at least we've prepared for my family to come down. Uh, if not, I guess we're having a, a quiet Christmas. So either way, uh, it should be a good Christmas. So we have about, I think, 15 or 60 more days uh, until we arrive at Christmas and we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And uh, uh, I think this is a unique time of year. Um, it's very different. It kind of pulls at us a lot in so many different ways. You know, I've had a lot of time to think about this. I think about it from our culture and everything else. Uh, uh, all the TV stuff changes, I notice. Um, you know, there's all kinds of movies that come out this time of year. How about It's a Wonderful Life? You know, everybody tells you, oh, it's a good Christmas movie. Yeah, it's awesome. It's where this guy contemplates suicide, and then he's rescued from an angel, you know, about what his life would be like if he wasn't around kind of thing, right? Great Christmas movie where you contemplate suicide, right? Or how about movies like Scrooge, where this greedy individual uh, basically is haunted by ghosts so that he can learn to be more generous and appreciative of what he has. Wonderful Christmas movies we have out there. I always think, I always like, well, what about Home Alone or one of these kids' movies? Yeah, how awesome is that? You have great parenting where you just leave your child at home and you go to Europe and you didn't even notice. You never know at the, when they were in the car that he wasn't there. You didn't know at the airport that he wasn't there. You left that kid at the house the entire time, like, and nobody thought about it until they were in the air. Not even one thought. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. There's one part in there where she says, am I a bad mom? Yes, you're a horrible mom. That's what you are. Like, you leave your kid and you go to Paris without your kid. Yeah, you're kind of probably a bad mom. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And maybe they wanted to forget him because that kid's a hooligan, man. You see all the stuff he did to those guys? Good (laughs) night, dude. He came everything short of killing them, right? These are the Christmas movies that come out, right? And listen, between books and children's tales, cartoons and movies, there's all sorts of ideas that swarm around this time of year. And, it, and I know it pushes on us. It pulls on us into all sorts of emotions. And there are, really, there are really some that don't like this time of year. I know for me, it took me a long time to get to where I really like this time of year. I'm going to bring those over here just in case I need them. Um, there are really a lot of those who don't uh, like this time of year. Um, and, and, you know, then there's some of you that like soon as November hits, you're already playing Christmas music. You know who you are. Nobody likes you either because you play Christmas music one month too early. Come on, man. You're, you probably work at Walmart. You're the reason Walmart's already setting up stuff by October. But that's just how it is. There's people that really love this time of year. It's festive. There's a lot of good memories there, right? There's a lot of bad ones too. And so it just this culture, it pulls on us, man. We, Christmas becomes this weird time of year. I know when I was in the military, I never spent a Christmas at home. So there it got to me where Christmas was just another day because I spent the whole time overseas in some place I did not want to be usually doing something I did not want to do. And so this is just how it is, the things we deal with. Now, to the person that's rooted in Christ, this time should be a wonderful uh, time of year where we get to uh, uh, basically project and exuberate the qualities of the Spirit of God. 
And it's an opportunity for us to witness our love of Christ so that the world can see that Jesus is alive and that the story of Christmas is true. And they see that through your testimony. And we've already talked about how it starts uh, in November. It starts with being thankful and grateful for everything the Lord has done in your life. Uh, and um, as you are thankful and grateful, it leads you into being generous, which is a great kind of quality to walk into Christmas with. And these, these are bold witnesses that allow others to see that Jesus is alive and well uh, um, and, and still walking the earth basically through his people, right? He guides his people uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit into becoming these things. And this is where we're going to begin this morning. If you want to turn to a a place of specific Galatians 5 is where we're going to pick this up. Galatians 5. And then I'm going to jump around a lot of scriptures and you can kind of follow with me. But we'll start there in Galatians chapter 5. <coughs> Say amen if we're there. All right. Galatians 5, we'll just do 16 and 17, get us going. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. All right. So the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit to be our guide, basically, in conduct and in deed. Uh, it directs us towards the attributes of Christ, but the problem is that we have this deep thing within us, this sinful nature that's constantly fighting against the change that God wants to do in our life, right? Um, and this is happening all of the time. This is constantly the struggle within us where we want to do good, but we're struggling to do the things that are good because we're selfish. We're still struggling in that sinful nature. There's this fight going on. Uh, sometimes we want to be bitter. Sometimes we're happy in our bitterness. Sometimes we're happy in our unforgiveness. We want revenge. We want those things. And we're constantly fighting against this sin nature. And, and, but the Holy Spirit is like, no, these are the things that are of Christ. These are the things that are good. And it's constantly fighting back and forth. Uh, and as it reminds me uh, of the change that takes place, uh, if you've seen the movie, I've had to see it a lot. We, we uh, bring Michael and Brittany over at our house a lot, and the constant movie that plays at my house during this time, actually all year long, is The Grinch. And if you haven't uh, seen The Grinch, which you should have, come on, where have you been? This is America. Of course you've seen The Grinch. It reminds me of this one part. I brought a clip this morning just to get us uh, a little bit lighthearted this morning of The Grinch, of the struggle between our nature and what God's trying to do. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. 
then a grim thought of something he hadn't before. Christmas, he thought. then, well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. Some of that's that's you, you know it, <laughs> right? I think we sometimes have a lot in common with the Grinch, man. We we're fighting against this thing all the time, man. Uh, you know, um, it's the same reason we laugh every time we see somebody else fall down. Nobody wishes anybody falls down, but you laugh at it nonetheless. I mean, there there's some things that are just about us that are they don't click right. Things don't click right with us, right? We can enjoy watching the. I mean, how many of you watch those like where the guy goes down the icy driveway and he till he like falls down and he can't get back up and you laugh the whole time, but you know that hurt if that was you. You know, like oh, I think I just broke my hip and I just like oh, but it's funny because it's not me, right? Like I mean, we can even take pleasure in when we see the difficulty of of others and there's this struggle, there's this constant battle, much like the Grinch here, right? Where. We're struggling to do what's right when some of the things that we, we long, we're trying to hang on to are wrong, and, and there's this just battle, right? The world's a hard place. It's constantly working against us, right? It causes us to become cynical. Come on, I mean, like, we grab and complain, like, Christmas is coming already in October. I'm not ready for Christmas. Like, Christmas is an awesome time of year, really. I mean, like, we hand each other gifts, and we laugh, and we see our families, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's become repetitious, but it's actually this great time of year, but we've become cynical to it because we've seen what the world does with it. We've seen how they look at it. Uh, we, 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 we can get bitter. We can get all those things, right? And, I, and here's the thing is, that I don't think any of that's the Lord's will. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says quite the opposite. He says... That instead of us being cynical or bitter in any of these things, he says that God has given us the Holy Spirit to combat that type of behavior. And while that type of behavior might be natural for us, uh, the Spirit is there to fight that off and help us guide us into the attributes of Christ or the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are in verses 22 through 23 there in Galatians 5. Look back there at verse 22. 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do within us. It's trying to combat these things that make us cynical, that make us angry, that make us bitter, that make us unforgiving. And it's trying to replace them with these good things. And this is the fight always between us. This is the internal struggle that's going on where you're like the Grinch. You're falling over and you can feel for the first time this goodness, right? As I, the more and more I watch the, the little clip there, I, can't, I always come back to like, I'm pretty sure that's how like salvation was for me. Like all of a sudden I could feel, like really feel and really understood the wrongness that I had done. And so the, the crying that he is experiencing in the end is this joy of understanding that, of coming into the light of that. And I think that's interesting, right? And then eventually what happens afterwards is what? Then, then the Spirit begins to guide us and lead us. And it leads us into what? Well, it leads us into these fruits, right? And, I, and I'm only going to go focus on the first three just for today. And we'll work on the rest as we kind of move through the next couple of weeks of this month. So let's just talk about the first one. Let's just talk about love. Because everything begins with love. Matter of fact, Paul also had quite a bit to say about it. And when he spoke to the Corinthian church, it might be uh, maybe the most powerful thing he's ever said is in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, where he said this. Paul said, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but didn't love others, I'd be a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I'd had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. It's interesting. I mean, basically, if I was to plane it all down and make it easy, it's simple. Nothing trumps love. Love is before all. Love is the forefront of everything. Love reigns over all. For all the gifts God could ever give you, they will never be a replacement for love, nor will they ever be an excuse as to why you didn't love greater or more. Love is the doorway to all the other fruits, as it's the first one mentioned, because there will be no peace without love. There is no joy without love. There's no way. Love directs you into all of this, and love is powerful. Look at all the books, look at all the movies and TV shows that permeate our culture on the subject of love. Even the best action movies involve a love interest. Come on, Indiana Jones always got the girl. You ever notice Indiana Jones is almost set up to be like a kid movie at times. You know, you saw Temple of Doom, there's this kid that runs around all the time, but there was a love interest, wasn't there? In the third one, Crusader, come on, there was a love interest. In the first one, there's a love interest. Heck, even in this last one that wasn't even as good as the first three, there was a love interest. They just brought the first one back. But there's always a love interest. Everything, right? Love drives us all the time. It drives us into the impossible. I mean, it's for love that the Son of God would come down. And think about it. He would inhabit the flesh of men, take upon the dangers of just being a human being, right? Limited in scope, right? Just to save us. 
And really, who is he saving? Think about this. He was saving a people that sin had basically overtaken to the point that we can't be good unless God makes a way. Why would you come and save people who hate you? Why would you come and save people who don't like you, who, who don't think like you and don't want you? Why would you save any of this? But this is love. Love overrides those things. It's love that drives the early church to go out and witness despite the constant persecution that they faced. Come on, it's love that took Paul, a man who was killing Christians, converts him, and then turns him into a witnessing and church-building machine. Think about how much his life was overtaken. And it wasn't by force. It's not like they beat Paul into submission. It's not like they took him and put him in the CIA MKUltra program and brainwashed him into doing what they wanted to do. No. Love changed Paul. Love knocked him off the horse. Love gave him his eyesight back. Love turned him into what he became, right? And that same love is still pushing the church further, even today. People still do crazy stuff, even today. I don't know if you read, there's a recent story of a missionary who went to a remote island just a few months ago. You can show the photo. In hopes of bringing the gospel to the native people. I don't know if y'all have seen him. There's, there is a photo there. I don't know if you've seen him. There's a story, right? And, and here's the thing is, they, they, the islanders end up killing him. He went there to spread the gospel. And, and where, why it was unique is this. Very few people ever go to this island because the natives are known to kill whoever goes ashore. He's not the first missionary that's tried. All right? And they, and they do it. And here's the thing is the government around those islands who have control over those islands, they basically have chosen to leave these people alone because they're indigenous. They're literally some of the last few tribes that they just live an indigenous lifestyle. They live off whatever's on that island, whatever they catch, and bows and arrows, the whole thing. They're the last of the, you know, the, the uncivilized or whatever you want to call it. Now, what, what drives a guy? Look, I mean, he's a young guy. He's got his whole life ahead of him. What drives a guy to do something crazy like that? Why would you go to a place where they knowingly kill people and, 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 and try to witness the gospel to them? Because you love them. Why would you believe you're not going to be killed? Because you have enough optimism and faith in God and hope in God that, hey, even if I die, it will be for the good of God, right? And the good of his glory, that these people might know Jesus through my death. Love makes you blind in some areas. Praise God it makes you blind in some areas. Amen. That's how you stay married for 20-something years. Love keeps you blind in areas where you just don't even care because you love them so much. You can overlook the world of things because you love somebody so much. Right? Love is crazy. Love is crazy. Love drives us to where we fear to go. It works against the grain of our cynicism and ultimately our sin. It sees light at the end of the tunnel. We used to tell our students that any love that isn't biblical or what biblical love is is false love or maybe just lust. And listen, we deal with a lot as teenagers. We saw it all the time. There's no such thing as a love that doesn't last forever. Period. Because that's biblical love. I mean, how do we know that? Because Paul told us that love is patient and love is kind. Love causes us to be compromising. How do we know this? Because love doesn't demand its own way. Paul says all this. Love holds out. It says that love never gives up. It never struggles with doubt. It's always hopeful. It holds us together. We see it in Christ. Christ loved us. It said he first loved us. He had no reason to love us. He chooses to love us. Love is a choice. And it's through making the choice of loving someone, choosing to love someone, right? As hard as it can be. And we're not great at it, guys. Remember the beginning I said, hey, we struggle in sin. We struggle with this other self that causes us to be cynical, that causes us to be angry and bitter. We struggle with this other side. It's not easy. <coughs> but as we choose love, as we walk towards love, 
It is love that leads us into joy. It is love that leads us into joy. And the, and the irony is that joy is such a simple thing. It really is such a simple thing, and yet it eludes a lot of us. We struggle with moments of joy. Joy is simply feeling a great pleasure uh, uh, and happiness. It's as simple as it is, right? And I have found joy really to be not something that we just, I don't want to say we walk in every day. We, we, we do walk in it more than we realize, but I have found that joy shows up in little moments of your life. They're very joyous moments of your life. And if you have enough of those moments, then you're living in the fullness of joy, which is what I think God wants for us. <clears throat> Here's the truth. If you walked in joy all the time, especially as much as you pray that you do, how would you ever appreciate it? Come on, it's times when I'm sick that I appreciate healthiness, amen? It's times when I work all the time that I appreciate a vacation. Huh? Come on, it's, it's times where I don't have vacation, but holidays are coming, praise Jesus, where my work will shut down. At least something under the sun will shut my work down, right? Where I can be home and be with my family and see my kids and my wife. These things are things we appreciate, right? These are moments of our joy. If we have enough of those moments, then we get to live in joy. And I believe God wants that. I don't think we get there without being thankful and without being grateful, though. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Listen to what he says. He says, they're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they are, all, they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now, this is a church that he doesn't even have a letter to. We don't have a letter to the church in Macedonia. There, there, there is no letter. There's the church of Corinthians, there's uh, the uh, Philippians, and and, and the Ephesians and all these other letters to the churches. But the only time we ever hear about Macedonia is Paul's always bragging about them. And he says, listen, their joy has caused the spirit of generosity to really circle about within them. So not only are they the spirit of thanksgiving and the spirit of gratefulness exists, but generosity now has sprung forth because they are living and walking in joy. Because a joyous heart is a giving heart. It's a giving heart. Paul called the church in Macedonia a church of abundant joy, where not only were they the smallest and the poorest, but they were a church that gave happily far more than they could afford. That's what he goes on to say about it. He even says this. This is what joy produced. It says they begged him for the opportunity to give more. Think about that. They begged him. They're the poorest. You know why he was telling the Corinthian church? Because the Corinthian church was struggling to give. And you know why he... He found that to be something of an issue because it was also one of the wealthiest churches there was. So the poorest of the poor churches were begging for an opportunity to give to the wealthy churches who really weren't giving much at all. They were teaching a lesson, right? That's the irony of, right? That's, the, <laughs> that's such irony of the whole thing, man. The poorest amongst them was out giving everybody. They were, and, and where did it come from? Because they had so much money? No, they had the one thing the Corinthians church wanted, which is what? Abundant joy. They were living in the love of Christ. They were living in the love, living in joy. When joy enters into the heart of a believer, there's no telling what happens or what can happen. Joy in the heart of a believer is a world-changing event, not just because it's in their heart, but because it becomes in the hearts of others as well. Joy's contagious. Man, get somebody that smiles in a room a lot. See if you don't end up smiling. Laughter is contagious. Let somebody start laughing. We will laugh just at their laugh. We'll find that funny. I mean, it's, it's you know, they say laughter is, is medicine. I, I believe it. I agree. 
I agree. Joy is contagious. It's medicine all by itself. Um, and, and why does joy work like this? Why does it do what it can do? Because it works through the power of love. Love is the doorway to joy. Listen to Jesus talk about what makes joy overflow. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Your yes and your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. When you love someone like Jesus loves, you will be filled with joy. Yet he says more than just filled, overflowing with joy. Love is the key to joy, but once you have joy, you can have it to where it overflows, and it's dependent on how much do you love. Do you love your fellow um, uh, you know, neighbor uh, like Jesus loves everyone? Are you willing to sacrifice things for your neighbor, for others? This is what leads us into joy. Love drives us to become more like Jesus. And by following him indeed in life, and by following his life, you're going to be filled with the same joy he is filled with. Right? Overflowing. And this is Christmas. We have this opportunity to love people that God has specifically placed in all of our lives. Right? From however they got there. However they got there. Listen, I've had some Christmases where uh, Joy's had cousins come over. I don't even know. I don't know. I've been around Joy now for 20 some odd years. I've never met these people. I'm not sure she has. But we've had some Christmases where the people have come over, like, I don't even know who, how do, are they really family? I mean, like, but you know what? God does some things in your life. Sometimes God brings people around at the right times of the seasons of your life, man, and you don't even know why they're there. You know why? They're really there so you can witness to them. Maybe they're there so they can see the light of Jesus in you. You know, Christmas is this reminder, of, we all know what Christmas is about. Everybody in here knows it's about the birth of Jesus, but there's a lot of people that don't know that. There's a lot of people that don't know that. And the only way they're going to see that that's true, because right now it's just a fairy tale to some kids. It's just a fairy tale to some people. But it's true when they see Jesus in you. When they see the love of Christ in you, Christmas is true. When they see the joy of Christ in you, Christmas is true. The whole story becomes true. And you become one of the greatest witnesses, man. Maybe change their life. This is this love that drives us into this overflowing joy. And guys, I'm not going to say any of this is easy. Good night. I can't say it's simple. Uh, I mean, remember Galatians, Paul said that the sin nature is constantly rebelling against all of this. And I know that sometimes it gets the better of us. But this is what we're striving for. I know how family can be. I know how some friends can be. I'm going to see some family, guarantee you, this next two, three weeks, that's going to question how much I love Jesus. Now, they're not going to come out and go, how much do you love Jesus? No, I'm saying they're going to act or behave in a way that my body's be like, I don't know if I love Jesus this much. And I'm just being honest. They're gonna, I mean, like, there's some people that can just about take your Christianity from you, which should never happen. But man, is it possible sometimes. And these holidays, it's, like, it's, it's, it's irony to me because I very rarely hear anybody talk about it at Christmas, like how we deal with family or how we deal with relatives. Most of the time I hear at Christmas, you know, when it's sermons and things like this, we deal a lot with the, the story of, of Christmas. But I, I know as I sit in here, most everybody knows the story of Christmas here, like 98% of you, okay? But the one thing that we guarantee you are going to face in your life is how you treat each other at Christmas. <laughs> I do know that much. 
right? Especially Thanksgiving becomes the first part of it. That's round one. You're just hoping you can make it to round two, right? Some of you are like, you know, if you ain't in a food coma, you're already like cynical, like I hope that so-and-so doesn't show up at Christmas. Maybe their car will break down so we don't have to deal with them and I can have a good Christmas. I mean, like, listen, don't lie. Some of us talk like that. But, and we need to deal with some of those things. Listen, we're never going to walk in the fullness of what Christ wants for us until we confront the things within us. And by the way, how people treat you is more of a your problem than their problem. You, don't, you can't control their change. You can't control your change. You don't have to let somebody rob you of your, I say rob you of your Christianity. Nobody can do that, but they can rob you of your joy. I mean, love, love is compromising. <laughs> love doesn't demand its own way. Love, love is serving. And I know, like, this is where we get challenged around this time of year. I don't want to serve them. I want them to serve themselves right outside the house. Right? Like, I know we get that way. I know we can be cynical. I know we can get angry. But this is where we get to testify, boldly witness the truth of Christmas, that Jesus is born. Right? Why? How can I know? Well, I see him in you. I see the way you act. Jesus came and served a bunch of people that didn't believe him. Come on. Man, if that ain't Christmas, I don't know what is. None of this is easy, right? But this, this has to be on the forefront of our minds as we walk into these holidays. I mean, come on. No, the only other time we're going to ask you to be really more centered around is like Christmas and then what, Easter? Right? And we need you to be Jesus at Easter, guys. Kind of a big one there. Yeah, he's born at Christmas, but let's be honest, it's what secures us is Easter. I mean, it's wonderful that he's born, and we remember that he's born, and we, that's a good thing. We want to celebrate those things, too, but we also celebrate Easter, too. But listen, guys, I need you to be Jesus in between. <laughs> that sounds like a give me. Well, pastor, that's a give me. Uh, I'm not sure sometimes. I'm not sure sometimes. But through the door of love, we do find joy. You've got to start there. It starts at love, right? And we also find peace. We also find peace. And maybe it's because in loving like Christ, which leads us into loving others like Jesus loves, we find joy, and this overflowing joy uh, consumes us into the point that we serve others. And as we learn to serve others, this is when we're going to find peace. You're not going to find it any place else. You want peace of mind? Live for others. That's really where, where you'll have peace. Most, most of the time when we're depressed... You're thinking about yourself and your own plight. One of the things, I've said it in here a million times, I'll probably always say it because it's something that really helps me. My mentor says it to me. Anytime I'm depressed, anytime I'm dealing with issues, anytime I'm dealing with anything around depression or, or anger or bitter or anything else, because usually that thing revolves around a, a wound or a, a conflict within me, uh, my mentor always says, man, how many people did you win to Jesus today? And, and, you know, I've told you, my reply is always shut up. That's my reply all the time. Shut up, because there's, he's right. You know what I've done? I'm depressed because all I can think about is my own plight. I, I'm angry because all I can think about is how bad I'm hurt. I'm bitter because all I can think about is the pain. I'm upset because all I can think about is how they've hurt me, right, instead of focusing on others. When I'm focusing on others, when I'm serving others, when I'm doing things for others, that's the one time I'm happy. And the more I function in that, the more I understand that, the more I realize that, the more I can live in joy. And when I live in joy, I'll live in peace, right? But it's found in serving others. Jesus knew that. He tried to show us. He's trying to show us. To live in Christ is to serve others. When you're serving others and others become the forefront of your mind, how are they doing? You, you start thinking less of yourself. 
It's not, it doesn't matter how I feel this morning. What matters is, is God's call, what God's called me to do. That through sickness and death, through whatever I can, man, I, I'm called to teach and preach and share the gospel and share the good news. When I am serving others, I quit thinking about my own plight. And when I quit thinking about my own plight, I'm happy. Right? I find joy. I find peace in those things. And this is like this reoccurring theme, man, of, of being a peacekeeper amongst each other and, 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 and serving and, and being the servant of peace, right? We're called to live in peace with each other. Uh, Paul talked about it over and over, and even some of the other apostles. In, Ro- in Romans 12, 18, for instance, he says, do all, that you can live, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And then in 14, he kind of, he's rambling on, trying to say things a second time. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And if you don't believe Paul, then, then look at Peter. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. We're called to be seekers of peace. We're called to see compromise where we can see compromise. Doesn't mean I always get what I want. I don't always get what I want. I don't get it always at home, and I don't get it here at the church. Praise God. It's not supposed to be that way. You know, you know what I honestly think at times? I honestly think that God doesn't really care what we do as a church as long as we're doing the main things, which are to go and preach the gospel. If we'll just go out and we'll live in front of our neighbors and preach the gospel in front of our neighbors, what we do as a conglomerate church, I think Jesus is like, listen, as long as you can keep me in your focus and as long as you'll serve each other and work towards peace and loving each other and living in joy with each other, then I promise you all the fruit that's going to come from that's going to be worth it. I really think there's a lot of things we try to add to that plate that really aren't there. Because I think, honestly, the whole part of coming together is to help us drive towards learning how to love. Because anytime you put a group of people together, you have conflict. And the church ain't no different. I mean, I don't want to show of hands, but how many of you have ever been hurt from a church? Gossip exists in the church. Sickness exists in the church. Disease exists in the church. Backbiting exists in the church. Bitterness exists in the church. You think the church is different from the world? It's not. What's different? What's different in the church that's in the world? Christ in you. The power of love. Love does what? Never gives up. Never demands. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love serves others. Love allows us to work through conflict. The world doesn't promote that, but the church does. How? Through Christ. Through the love of Jesus that's in you. Love allows us to experience joy around other people. There's no promise of that outside this world. Come on, one of the things my oldest daughter says to me all the time, I am so thankful and so grateful after experiencing so many people my age who have parents they don't talk to or they hate or they talk bad about, just to have a relationship with my mom and dad for where I can go talk to them. You know, I mean, that's the one thing she sees out there in the world. It's like what you experience is this goodness that exists within the church. Why? Because you're being Christ in your family. Not every family gets to experience that. That's what the church brings. Therein lies what Christ brings to the table. When we love, we're full of joy. When we're full of joy, we bring peace to our own family. Even when it's hard and difficult, we bring peace. We're We're to look for ways to negotiate peace and work towards peace. 
we're not supposed to be a people of bitterness or unforgiveness. Lest we, uh, we forget what the Bible defines as love. Remember, love is patience, kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. How many struggle with that one, right? Keeps no record. No record. Means that you forget about it. It's a hard one. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstances. Love leads us into peace because through love we can finally compromise and work against our own sin nature and discover in loving others a peace that is beyond understanding. Man, to me, like the ultimate um, proof of that is when we have friends. Come on, how many of you have ever had a friend done you wrong? Can't nobody do you wrong like a friend, right? It's like family. We say that about family, right? Well, you know, yeah, they're not the greatest people, but they're my family. What can I do, you know? Can't, can't, can't just, that's just how it is, right? Well, why are we this way? Because we love them. And no, like your own kids will do you wrong. You'll be like, ah, it's my kid though, right? The sad thing is God's trying to show you something. It's supposed to be like that with everybody. It really is. Like how, how you're forgiving you are for when it's your kid that does you wrong seven times, but you're like, hey, maybe number eight's going to be the one, <laughs> right? Well, the reason that love, that's the love of Christ in you. That's, Jesus is the same way too. He's like, Man, I've been waiting for like 15 years for you to get it right. I've been waiting 15 years for you to start serving. I've been waiting 15 years for you to be a giver. I've been waiting 15 years for you to experience the joy that I want to give you. And you know what the funny thing is? Jesus don't say it condemningly. Jesus never once goes, man, you're a bunch of hard-headed no-goods. He never says anything like that. Jesus is always like the opposite. He usually says something like, man, I've been waiting on you, angel, forever. And, you're, and then that's what crushes you is because why did you call me something so nice? You know I'm horrible. And Jesus is like, I don't know, I've never seen you be horrible a day in my life. I mean, that's how he keeps no grudges. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's not like us. Like, we'll, like we, we'll judge a person like, well, man, I don't know if we should trust them. They've been this way for a long time. Listen, God says be smart. I'm not saying they'll be smart. But what I'm saying is that God forgives. And when he forgives, he forgets. So he doesn't see all those times like we do. He's like, oh, I'm going to give him another chance. I'm going to give him another chance. Christ is always saying, I'm going to give him another chance. I'm going to give him another chance. We would say, man, their chance is up. By the way, aren't you glad that he doesn't? Because if you're honest with yourself, you already know. You're glad that Christ doesn't do that. Love leads us into peace. And again, I'm not saying any of this is easy. It's against our own nature. It's not our nature to be so forgiving. It's not our nature. How do we learn, right? Some of you, the friends you have today, they're because you learned that some people weren't your friends. You've learned what crowd to be around and what crowd not to be around. You've had to learn of who to trust and who not to trust through hurts. I get it. It's not easy. But here's the thing is when we forgive, when we love, when we, when we walk in peace with others that maybe even disagree with us, right? Hey, man, I'm about to go visit my mom this week. I promise you there's a lot of things we, I will avoid talking about because I know we won't agree. But it's not, my, it's not my job to go in there and convince her the otherwise. I'm going to respect what she believes. I'm going to love her right where she's at. And I'm going to let her voice her opinion. And, it, and it, if, if that means win the conversation, she gets to win the conversation. Why? Because I love her. Because I'm going to try to win her through love. That's how I'm going to win her. I'm going to win her by loving her, by listening to her, by being an ear. Right? And, and, and letting her see the change within me. Right? Which is who? Jesus which is Jesus, right? None of it's easy. It's not easy for me. 
right? Because I'm just like everybody else. I want to be right more than I really want to be wrong, right? I mean, but this is when our Christianity shines the most, when people can see the Holy, work, Holy Spirit at work within us, right? Then, then do we actually testify towards the gospel change. And you see now the Christmas message come out. I'm almost see it because I'll keep my mouth shut. And how many, I mean, even in here, like I come in here, if I don't talk, y'all start asking questions to me. Immediately, if I, if I keep my mouth shut and I'm just walking around not talking, everybody goes, man, what's wrong with Pastor Jim? Because that dude talks all the time, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Quit saying yes, Reagan. All right. But that's the way it is, right? I talk. This is my gift. This is, my, this is what I do, right? And if I'm not talking, something's either wrong or I'm sick. Something's wrong. It's not talking, something's not right, right? So my mom will take notice that I'm listening, that I'm not arguing back. But she'll be like, what, you don't got nothing to say on it? No, I'm just hearing your, I'm hearing your perspective. I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I want to hear you out. I want to give you some platform. I want to, and I'm being earnest about it. Now I'm willing to listen to you. No, but she'll take notice, just like people take notice in you. And they'll see, they'll see the Christmas story is true. They'll see that Jesus was born this time of year. They'll see that he was born. They'll look at the story, right? They'll know that he was born of the Virgin Mary, right? That he lived and had ministry, and he ended up dying and atoning for all people and all nations. And three days later, he rose from the grave so that you can experience the greatest gift of all, which is eternal life with the Father. And by the way, eternal life with the Father is this, a restored relationship with God. Which, Listen, this is what Christmas, the theme of Christmas is this. God, Jesus came so that you can have a restored relationship with your Father, with your Creator. And in restoring that relationship with Him, in upward restoration, we'll have outward restoration. Are you following me? When we have upward restoration, we'll have outward restoration. And that's Christmas. Christmas proves that this is true. We can bring the worship back in. And this is what it, all it's about. Like So when I... When I become a witness, when I become, uh, my passion is pushed towards these things, when I begin to work towards loving others and, and allowing love to permeate my life and allowing others to, you know, to, to really uh, uh, um, to, to serve them and to love them right where they're at, right? that's when I start to experience the abundance of joy in my life. And from joy, I work towards peace. I allow it to rule my life, right? And it's then where Christmas reminds us. It reminds us, it makes us go back and remember what's guiding us, what's teaching us, what's fighting for us, what's, what's loving us. Uh, and I think, I think often at times I think about Christmas as God loving us despite us. Because uh, it's not like we put a whole lot out there for him to love at times. But God loves us anyway. And if that isn't the model of love, then I don't know what is. I mean, that's Christmas. When I'm going to go to Christmas, I'm not going to get along with everybody. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to give them time to speak. I'm going to hear them. I'm going to cheerlead their life when they're doing the right things. And I'm going to keep my mouth shut when they're not. I don't have to correct everybody. I don't have to correct everything. I can pick and choose those battles. I can pick and choose the things I'm going to say. What makes me hold my tongue? Love doesn't demand its own way. It's not just how I see it. Listen, man, Christ, he's, I'm pretty confident that Jesus can do all the saving. He doesn't need any of my help. Matter of fact, I think I get in the way too often. And maybe that's the case. 
But if I'm ever going to experience and true thankfulness, true Christmas, this whole thank Christmas thing, if, I, if I'm truly going to experience joy and peace, I've got to master this thing called love. Right? I mean, we went from thankfulness and gratefulness to generosity, generosity to love. Love is this overguiding thing. It's like over, overguiding. It's, it's guiding everything. It's overseeing everything. It's the umbrella underneath all of this. Love is what makes the Christmas story happen. Love is what makes the God go, hey, I'm going to have a son, and I'm going to put him in the arms of human beings, and I'm going to take some of his omnipotence away and, and, and stick him into this place where he's limited by his flesh. And, and uh, he's going to have to go through the pains and, and trials and troubles that human beings uh, do. Why? Because I love my creation so much. I love my kids so much that I'm going to do this. Love makes God give a son <laughs> to die. To die. Because he wants relationship with us that bad. Love drives that. I mean, the whole Bible is a love story. It's a giant love story to us. God loving humanity, loving his creation to this point. And when we celebrate Christmas, it's the birth, the birth of love into this world. Amen? Now let's worship this morning. So, Lord, this morning we exalt your name so that the whole world can see you and not see us. Lord, may that be true in all of us, that when people look at us, they see you. And where they don't, where we fall short, we repent and we ask for your 